I, I caught the last kind of second half of uh, Sam's teaching this morning. It was so good. And mm. He said something so true um, about, about you're going to remember the, the relational connections that you have. Those are the memories you're going to pull from this place, uh, more than what comes from lecture. However, everyone say however. However. My name is Peter. <laughs> and in 2 Peter chapter 1, <laughs> Peter says, he's, he's teaching them about the faith and the, the virtues of the faith. In verse 12, he says, guys, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So my heart this week is that you would be established in all of these truths. Right now, many of you, it's from the testimonies, by the way, thank you for sharing what God's doing with me. I love hearing your process. Um, I'm not bothered. It's why I'm here. So when I'm standing in a line or you guys are coming up, uh, it's, you're not bothering me. So I enjoy the testimonies. I enjoy the wrestle. I enjoy hearing what doesn't make sense to you, what is making you angry. Like I like it all um, because like Sam said, if you're not being challenged, you're not changing. Amen. And so I, I enjoy this process. This is not the first group I've walked with this message through. So um, all of all the things you're experiencing are real. The conversations you're having um, are all part of the process. So look what he says, though. I think it is right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, since I know that I'm getting on a plane tonight, as the Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I, I'm getting on a plane. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. I'm just, you see how I'm relating to it, to us? You guys see what we're doing here? Are you with me? You got your coffee? We awake? We alive? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus is King. All right. And I, look at this. Today, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Okay? So I know maybe historically you may not remember everything, but my desire, I'm going to make every effort that when I fly back to Dallas and I come back and I see you in February, Lord willing. Come on. Or whatever. I'm just prophesying. That you will come to me like, Peter, I remember that Jesus is a great high priest. That he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he's a bridegroom. And I've been living under this reality. I've been abiding in it. And it's transformed my life. Come on. Amen. So I intend, I intend to remind you uh, of all these things. All right. We are going to look today uh, at Jesus as our bridegroom. The, the return of the Lord. Um, so let's open first. Um, to 2 Timothy 4. So, for many of us, raise your hand if the Lord's return, like the return of the Lord, Jesus coming back, is an active, uh, how do I say this? It's, it's both in your heart, and, it, and it, you're conscious of the Lord's return, and your behavior and your actions... Uh, are motivated in light of the Lord coming back. I'm going to say that a better way. How many of you, you feel like the Lord's return is actually in your heart? Like you live in light of it all the time. 
There's you know, some mumbling. Oh, I don't know. All the time. Maybe when am I sleeping? You know. So the, these, what I'm asking is, do you, in light of his return, can you point to things that you're doing or not doing because you know he's coming back? Okay. There's five. I'm, we're going to look at five things, five uh, activities, five mindsets, five postures of the heart that I believe every single Christian should possess in light of the Lord's return. Now, just like every revelation of Jesus, anything that that happens to us because of that revelation is only by grace through faith. You guys with me? Yeah. So this is grace from beginning to end. You no one, no one here got themselves born again. Did you? Did you get yourself born again? What did you do to get born again? You put your faith in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? You didn't add to it. You can't take away from it. It's the same with every step of this process. So look at this. This is profound and deep. 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge you. This is Paul writing to his spiritual son. He says, Timothy, I charge you. Listen to this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is a very strong statement to his spiritual son. He's saying, Timothy, I'm giving you a charge, not from me, not from my own heart. I'm charging you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And then he gives us this little, like a little adverb or a descriptor of Jesus and how he's charging him. He's saying, I'm charging you in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. <laughs> So he's saying, I charge you. What I'm about to tell you is a charge. I'm giving you a command. I'm telling you to do something in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. So he's like, the only way you're going to do this thing that I'm about to charge you to do rightly, the only way you're going to do it properly is if you're mindful of the presence of God and the fact that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. What are you going to charge him to do? And by his appearing, by his appearing, and by his kingdom. This is a crazy charge. So he's like setting, he's like, can we go into a room for a second? I want to give you something to do. And he brings him into a room and he's like, okay, what's the room? The room is Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. He's going to appear on that day and his kingdom is coming with him. This is a sober and amazing, like he's putting Timothy in this place of like, whoa, what are you about to tell me? What do you want me to do in light of that? Preach the word. Wow. Some of you, I can even feel, why, why are we preaching? Why is he preaching so much? This, this command, it reverberates in my soul. I'm here, for, I'm here for four days. And I come here and I could tell you stories. I could give you, and I love stories. I love testimonies. I could, I could preach my life to you. But he didn't, he didn't charge me to preach my life. He charged me to preach the word. See, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm here standing mindful of the Lord's coming, his return, his appearing. And when he comes, I don't want to say, Lord, I stood up there at the DTS and I declared everything about my life. I could tell you testimonies of God healing the sick and 
deliverance and what he's done for me. And of course, we share personal testimonies. I want to share my life with you. But the reality is we need the word of God in light of his return. And I'm speaking this to you. I'm, I'm telling you, you guys in this season, when you go and you're sent all over the world in light of the Lord's coming in the light of his return, preach the word, preach the word. Preach the word. Don't preach your opinion. Don't preach what you thought you heard growing up. Come on. That's what we're wrestling with. Many of us are wrestling with what we thought we knew. But God just says, preach the word. You don't have to come up with something. You know, How do I have a sermon? Just preach the word. Preach the word. I don't feel qualified. Just preach the word. Just declare the word of God. Just speak it. Put it in your mouth and speak it to one another. In your conversations, when you're processing all this, make sure you speak and preach the word. Not, well, I know the word says this, but this is what I feel like it is. I just doesn't, just doesn't feel, just, I'm not, if, if what's, if the word of God makes you uncomfortable, good. It should, it should challenge. It should, it should make us. Kind of some kind of way. You guys with me? That's number one. Preach the word. Luke 12. This is going to be a little practical in the beginning. You guys okay with that? Yes. So you know like, okay, how do I cultivate uh, this life of of knowing Jesus as bridegroom, as judge? I'm going to preach the word. That's a right response to the Lord's return. If you're not preaching the word, you're not mindful of his return. Yeah. Wow. It's another way of saying it. These activities and these things that we're going to see biblically, they're a way that we can actually test. Am I living mindful of the Lord's return? If you are, you'll be preaching the word and you'll do so with a sense of sobriety. You'll do so with a sense of integrity of studying to show yourself approved. You're not going to just haphazardly be reading scriptures and telling people and giving people permission to do weird things. All right. Luke 12. These are Jesus's words. Pay a little extra attention. Red letters. Verse 35. Luke 12, verse 35. Jesus says, Stay dressed for action. Wow. Stay dressed for action. Make sure you have your athletic wear on. You're ready. Wow. Never know when Shiloh will ask you to play pickleball. You need to be ready. (laughs) Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds Awake. Say awake. 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 When he comes. What does awake mean? Awake. (laughs) Awake means the spiritual eyes of your heart are eagerly and expectantly, joyfully anticipating the Messiah, the Jewish king, coming back to marry you. Wow. Like you guys are excited and hopeful about your outreach. Hopefully you are excited about that. Yes. See the woo. You see that? When was the last time you woke up and you had the thought he's coming to marry and you said, woo. 
It should be there. Yeah. If you're not, you're asleep. This is the pinnacle and the climax of everything. He will, he will, he will put death underneath his feet. Every wrong will be made right. Sin and death completely. The presence of sin in the earth will be no more. There will be no more death. The kingdom of God is coming to earth. And the Bible says that every eye will see him. And in Thessalonians, it says that we will be caught up in the air and we will we will meet him and be with him forever. We are a strange people. Christians are strange. Do you know what we say we believe? Like (laughs) the punchline of this whole thing is we all just like up in the sky. But if you allow your heart to begin to go there. The Holy Spirit will make it real. It'll make it real for you. So what does it mean to stay dressed for action and to keep your lamps burning? What garment does the new covenant speak of that we receive as believers? The Bible speaks of clothing that believers have. So if we're staying dressed, I like the Bible to interpret the Bible. We don't, don't want to. Make it say something it's not saying. Stay dressed. What do you mean dressed? Dressed in what? What does what comes to us? Robes of righteousness. Thank you. Robes of righteousness. So the only way you're going to be ready for action in the kingdom of God is if you're wearing a robe called righteousness. Are the dots connecting at all? If you're not conscious, if I'm wearing a robe called righteousness... I'm aware I'm righteous. Wow. <laughs> well, you have to, it's a gift. I'm going to wear the gift. I'm going to receive the gift that my God gave me. It doesn't honor and worship my king to deny and say, I'm, I don't really have the gift that you gave me. It's, it's, it takes tremendous humility to receive the gift of righteousness and to possess it as your own. Do you think God would give you a gift and not want you to possess it? So what do you think it would look like to wake up every morning to look at yourself in the mirror and go, Lord, thank you for the gift of righteousness. I'm going to wear it today. I'm going to walk around this campus as a son or daughter, having been made righteous before you aware at the high, 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 high price that Jesus paid to give me this robe. You know, we, we, we don't, Jesus is a wonderful accountant. How much, let me ask you this, how much sin did Jesus pay for? Are you sure? So he's not a bad accountant. The reason why we can live free and, and feel as though we're free is because it's already been paid for. So if I'm trying to deal with something or pay for something that's been paid for, I'm now, I'm like, I'm like that weird person who, when the guy offers you the bill and you're like, oh, I want to pay for it. Like it's already been paid for. Just relax, receive it. So he paid for it and he gives you a rope. So to stay dressed in the kingdom looks like to maintain the perspective that we have been made right in him. Wow. Did you hear that? Yeah. You cannot 
be prepared for action in the kingdom, true, meaningful kingdom action, unless you're wearing the robe of righteousness. Do you know why? If you're doing kingdom action from a place where you're not aware of righteousness, you will be tempted to do your actions to make you righteous. Oh. This is why he wants you to stay dressed and to keep your lamp burning. What do you think it means to keep the lamp burning? What did Jesus say the lamp was? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. So the word of God in Psalms is a lamp. But Jesus also said the eye is the lamp of the body. So what do you think it means if the eye, what is he saying? If the eye is the lamp, how would I keep my lamp burning? I believe he's saying you have to maintain a perspective. You have to keep your eyes single. If your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light. Y'all know, y'all read the Beatitudes, right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'm, I'm concerned that not everyone shouted the answer to that. That is like Matthew Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Beatitudes, are perhaps the most important three chapters in the in the Word of God. Am I would y'all agree? Yes. Matthew 5, 6, and 7? It is so you have to read the Beatitudes. So that's neither here uh, that that is here and there and everywhere. Read it. Memorize it. You memorize it. You have so much time here. Prayer room. Just memorize the Beatitudes. So he's saying to stay dressed and to keep your lamp burning is to keep your perspective on Jesus, the Messiah, the unconditional love of God, who gives me peace with God. I'm right with God because of what he's done. The high priest, he has empowered me to make him known, to be a witness to the ends of the earth. He's baptized me in his spirit. He's ever praying for me. If I have weakness and and brokenness, I can come to him, the throne of grace to find mercy and my bridegroom and judge. I'm going to maintain that perspective in light of everything that I do. That's how you keep your lamp burning. This is why this revolution, this, this revelation of Christ is so, so vital. You cannot keep oil in your lamp. People talk about getting oil. How do you buy oil? Huh? The dealer. The oily one. You know what Messiah means? It means anointed one. Oily one. Jesus is the oily one. Y'all don't like that. You're like, ew. (laughs) It's the oil of gladness. He's the oily one. I love it. So So in light of the Lord's coming, we cannot be ready for his return without the robe of righteousness and a single eye on Jesus. This is how we stay awake in the days to come. This is how we stay awake. I'm telling you, there are countless believers who are asleep. There's a harvest among the nations, but there's also a harvest in the church. Many of you have been coming to me this week and you're like, how do I, how do I take all of this and explain it to my family and to my friends? And I want to just speak to that. 
The best thing you can do is to let this word and this truth have the full work inside of you yeah. so that you become so free, so loved by God. You fall so madly and deeply, truly in love with him yeah. that people are like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And you're like, no, it's what's right with me. Yeah. Because because as soon as you start walking righteously, you'll start looking differently because most Christians are familiar to just living under the weight of their flesh and being slaves to the flesh. So when you start walking by the spirit, according to Galatians five, you'll no longer gratify the desires of the flesh. Do y'all know that it says that in Galatians five, write it down. You're going to read it later. You're going to process it in the prayer room on Friday night, midnight oil. The Bible says, if you walk by the spirit, You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say if you stop gratifying your flesh, you will have graduated and attained spiritual maturity having walked by the spirit. Most Christians think that scripture says that they think they think walking by the spirit is something that you attain to when you're mature. That's wrong. Walking by the spirit is for the most baby, immature Christian. That's how. You overcome your flesh. So everything we've been talking about this week is me teaching you how to walk by the spirit. So good. Wow. If I'm constantly talking about my sin and my brokenness, I'm walking according to the flesh. The mind, watch this. The mind, Romans 8, set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Romans 8, you write these down because you guys will think that I'm saying it, but I'm not saying it. God's saying it and I'm referencing it so that if every time we go and we take 10 minutes and I'll start preaching it, I know me. I'll just start preaching Romans 8. We'll get off the bridegroom. (laughs) The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. This means if you're only looking at what you do and what other people do to determine righteousness, your mind will be hostile towards God. Yeah. But the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. Oh, this is so good. Okay, so Luke 12, we're going to stay dressed. Say this, I'm going to stay dressed. I don't believe you. Someone, someone stand up like you actually like, no, no, not everyone. Someone that has faith in what we're saying. Yeah, thank you. And tell us, tell everyone that you're going to stay dressed and keep your lamp burning. I'm going to stay dressed and I'm going to keep my lamp burning. Amen. It's what it looks like when everyone else, again, this is not, we could all stand up, but it looks like that. It looks like when everyone's sitting, you stand and go, no, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. I can steward my heart. I can steward my heart before the Lord in light of these truths. And I'm preaching this and I'm laboring in this because I want you to be ready. Yeah. I want you to be ready. Yeah, look at 1 look at Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. Y'all will understand me maybe, maybe a little more. 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at this. This is crazy. 1 Thessalonians 2. As ministers of the gospel, I pray that this heart be birthed in you. Paul writing to people he ministered to. 
You think this man just had an itinerary and was ticking the box? Listen to this. He says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. You know what the problem is with me coming here? I'm going to be thinking about you guys all these months. I have five kids, and now I'm going to be thinking about you guys. I'm serious. I'm going to be, I can't, I can't come here and see your faces and hear your stories and do this and not wonder and pray in my heart. How are they doing? In light of all of this, how are they doing? Oh, I pray that I pray, you know, like, like, like John the Baptist said, you know, Hey Jesus, are you going to come? He's like, blessed are those who are not offended at me. I pray you don't get offended. I pray you don't get stuck. I pray, I pray this season is the fullness for you. Everything you thought it was going to be, I pray it's that and more. And that by the end of this time, you look more and more like him. There's no greater journey than this guys to look like him. So look at what he says. We were we were torn away in person, not in heart. Wow. wow. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Look at this. Verse 19. Let this hit your heart. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you, Paul says this, you have to hear this. Paul says, for you are our joy and crown when the Lord comes back. What is he saying? He's talking about boasting at the Lord's return. What's he saying? He's saying when God comes back and he sees the Thessalonian church staying awake and dressed for action, he's going to go... Jesus, look at the Thessalonians. Look at all the labor. Look how strong they're. Look, they're waiting for you. Look, they're still filled with faith. They finished well. They didn't compromise. They didn't fall away. They they withstood persecution and trial and offense and loss. And you are our joy. We're going to be celebrating at your brilliance at the Lord's return. Wow. This man was not living for himself. He wasn't like, oh, my joy is going to be the fact that I'm ready at the end. No, 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 no. It was that you were ready. Come on. As you go to the nations, as God entrusts you with people, carry this heart. Carry this heart. Your ministry is not about you. It's not about you. It's about the people God's given you to be ready on the last day. This is so important. We get so stuck in like the, the, the smallness of what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? We're like, well, I just want to see this and this and this. But when you, when you begin to uh, let your heart go to the Lord's return, everything gets in right perspective. You guys with me? You okay? Again, I'm trying to give you... I'm trying to show you how the Lord's return produces a uniqueness of character and and believer and minister that is often not found because we've not cultivated or preached the revelation of Jesus as bridegroom and judge. The reason why we don't see more of this or hear more of this is because we've not proclaimed Jesus as bridegroom and as judge and as king. Mm. 
Are you guys with me? And so as you begin to meditate on these things, you'll find there's a, like something happens to you. Something will, something changes inside of you, man. There were years of my life when I would preach the gospel and I did not have this heart in me. And so I told God, I said, God, I don't know that I've ever loved anyone that way. I don't know that I've ever, like anyone that you've given, I don't know that I've ever carried that posture. And I said, would you help me? Would you put that heart inside of me? He's so faithful. He's begun to like, like my emotions, my, it's like the emotions of Jesus, the love of Jesus. Like, I don't, can I just acknowledge something? I don't know you guys. It is supernatural to love people you don't know. And I know there's more. I know that I'm not like saying anything like, but there is a measure. I feel a measure of God's love for each of you. Like I, I, and it's like, I didn't get that. He gave it to me. It's his heart inside of me for you. And when I'm up here and in and, and my presence among you, I feel it. And you can't now, I can't get away from that. You don't just switch that off. Love doesn't just switch off. Love is something that just love will imprison you. If you want to live the Christian life, you're going to be imprisoned by love. You're going to end up laying down your life. And love for people who don't deserve it, who hurt you and betray you. That is the Christian life. Amen. No shouts, no woos. Too late. Too late. All right. Um, Philippians one. We're going to do one more, and then and then we'll get into the the meat and the potatoes. So dressed, stay dressed, keep your lamps burning, preach the word, love. That was the one we just did, love, if you're writing these down. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 8. This is what I'm talking about. Paul says to the Philippians, this wasn't just a one-off with the Thessalonians. He says, Philippians 1, 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of of Christ Jesus. Paul's heart became one with the Lord's heart and he began to experience Jesus's affections towards those he ministered to. And I want to just bless that with your school leaders. School leaders, do you guys I want to bless you with that 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 more and more by the grace of God, he would possess you with his heart. That your maturity doesn't come from your age, but from his mature love inside of you. And I just I just prophesy, I just declare that there will be such a mantle of love that comes upon you that will shepherd and govern this entire DTS in a way that is uncommon. Not just unto a mission, but there will be a genuine sense of the love of the Father coming through each of you. So he says, I, I love you guys so much. That's what Paul's saying in, in Philippians 1.8. That's my PSV, Peter's Standard Version. And it is my prayer that your love, look at this, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. If you guys begin to read your Bible with the lens of the Lord's return, you will see 
that, that the Lord's return was one of the primary messages and focuses for the New Testament church. It was, it was, it was so core to the gospel message that they believed in that it, it anchored them through persecution. Now, most of us don't know persecution. Some of us do, and some of you will. But I want to promise you, I persecution is coming, not just to the nations, but to the nation. I believe it with all my heart because it was promised. And I'm concerned right now, I'm concerned for the state of the church in America in particular, that we're not prepared for persecution. We are not prepared. If you see how we're responding to the threat of persecution, it will tell you we're not ready. The company in Hebrews says they were seeking a homeland. And that they gladly accepted the plundering of their property because they knew they were going to a better country. And we have to deal with that. And Jesus said of the last days, he says, the love of many will grow cold. One of the hallmarks of the last day's environment is that love in many grows cold. And I think one of the most helpful biblical truths to keep the love of God warm upon our hearts is to contemplate the return of the Lord. You say, ah, this sounds counterintuitive. Trust me. If you, if you read, just, just underline in your Bible, if you have a highlighter, pick a color, and every time the Lord's return is referenced, highlight it. You'll be surprised. You'll be like, wow, it's everywhere. And then you have to say, wow, how come I haven't been more grounded, more anchored, more aware, more alive to this truth if it's so central? You guys with me? Yeah. All right. I know there's a lot of wrestling still, uh, which is awesome. Um, and I love what I love what Kevin shared. Um, though this is new for some, some you may already know. Um, but but just a reminder: um, these truths are eternal and they're glorious, and we never uh, we never outgrow them. Um, just like we never outgrow water. So think of these truths as the water of the Christian faith. You, you have to drink water to stay hydrated. Um, but, but know that my heart is that no one is, uh, feels left behind. And so your wrestle is valid. Um, so I want to continue. We're going to get into uh, the book of First John, um, which, which gets very um, explicit. <laughs> very, very sharp. Um, and so we're going to just humbly and gently uh, approach the word of God. So, Father, we open your word uh, today with expectancy. Come and search us. Let the light of your word pierce between soul and spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the word of God that divides, that helps us understand what is our soul, what is our spirit. It's so, so sharp. 
And we're thankful, Lord, for how sharp it is. We're thankful for how you lead us and how you help us. God, I pray that you would help my friends as they're, as they're wrestling, Lord, that the truth would come to bear upon all of our souls. God, that we wouldn't, this wouldn't just be some message that we talk about, but it would become flesh inside of us. Make us a company of people so radically free, so radically, truly in love with you. God, that, that, that people would wonder what it is that we have if we could simply tell them it's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. First John 1, 5. We are going to get and stay in the thread of the bridegroom uh, and the Lord's return. Um, however, you'll, you'll discover that all of these topics are connected, meaning we've been talking about the, the power of the gospel to set us free from sin. We've been talking about the penalty of sin, which is death, the power of sin, which is the law, and the presence of sin in the earth, which will one day completely be eradicated when the Lord comes back. Okay? So Jesus, the Messiah, he deals with the penalty of sin, which is death. Our high priest breaks the power of sin, which is the law. Because now we're not under law, but we're under grace. grace. Romans 6.14. This is just recap. And then one day when he comes back, he's going to eradicate the earth from the presence of sin. There will be no more presence of sin in the earth. And that's really cool. Um, so 1 John 1 verse 5. Um, this one, um, this is an important scripture that we understand uh, because a lot of people stumble over this in light of this teaching. First John 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. Say God is light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Where does the Bible preach that we are? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, say if, you know it goes both ways. If we sin, if we walk in the light, you have a choice. You can choose whether or not you want to walk in the light. Another note on this, walking in the light isn't just the the nasty parts of you. It's also the beautiful parts of you. Come on. To walk in the light is to also say, to come into a small small group setting and say, hey guys, I just got to be honest with you. I woke up this morning in the love of God. And I felt so clean by his blood. And I, and I, man, I've been wrestling with anxious thoughts for the last six weeks. And I just, I, guys, I just have to get something off my chest. I just have to be in the light. I'm just so free in my heart right now. That's also walking in the light. Not just, hey, I need to walk in the light. I messed up. I did something. That's walking in the light. But also we have to embrace the other walking in the light. Let's not boast against the truth and pretend that we're not really free. All right. That's a pet peeve of mine. You guys can tell my pet peeves, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy has so many pet peeves. <laughs> my peeves are things that keep people in bondage. I love freedom. I like being free. Come on. 
Here it goes. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I like that. Watch this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And this is where people stumble. Say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, this is weird. If you cleanse someone from all unrighteousness, shouldn't they be able to say they have no sin? So what's he saying? Look at the next verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He was addressing Gnostics who said, we don't need a savior. We don't need someone. We don't have sin. This is what he was addressing. Is people saying, we don't need a savior. And he's saying, if you say you have no sin, meaning before you come to the knowledge of the truth and you walk in the light and the blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness, if before all that you say you have no sin, meaning you say you have not sinned, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Wow. Yeah. Mm. This is what this verse is saying. But then he promises that the blood would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so to hammer the point home, in case you're thinking that First John 1 is saying, well, we can't say we have no sin. He goes to verse chapter 2. And we looked at this yesterday. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And again, he then presents Jesus as the advocate, uh, which is amazing. And so now I want you to jump to 1 John 2, verse 28. And this is going to be the meat. Bring it. This is the meat. Actual, the real meat. Well, it's all meat, but if you're only ever hearing me preach what or, or this pulpit preach and you receiving, that's milk. My wife gave birth to five kids. I know how milk works. She eats and then milk is produced and the baby eats the milk. They don't have solid food yet. So if the only spiritual revelation you get is through somebody else, that's milk. You've got to be able to eat from the word of God. Then you'll be strong. Be able to do RTC, pickleball, whatever. Some Iron Man. Where are my Iron Woman's and Man's at? Anyone? No one here? Does triathlons? Wow. Jesus' name. Help us, Lord. <laughs> All right, First John uh, 2.28. You guys there? You guys okay? Yeah. Say, I'm okay. I'm, okay. I'm, okay. I'm born of God. I'm born of God. I've been washed in His blood. I've been washed in His blood. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. God is my Father. God is my Father. I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God. I am in fellowship with the saints of God. I am in fellowship with the saints of God. I walk in the light. I walk in the light. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen. Amen. All right, little children. Now, little children, abide in Him. Little children, abide in Him. Remember what abide means? What does abide mean? Stay there. Stay where he puts you. Where did he put you? 
Yes, you remember. Yeah. Take that, Sam. I'm just kidding. Don't remember he said that. I'm going to give him a hard time. <laughs> Abide in him. So that when he appears, interesting, abiding is unto the return of the Lord. When he appears, we may have confidence. Say confidence. confidence. This is crazy. Can you imagine right now looking out over this sky and it just unzips like a zipper? It, the sky is like a scroll and you yeah. see this Jewish man on a white horse robed yeah. in blood and he's riding it and all of a sudden this double-edged sword comes out of his mouth and he's like he's got eyes of fire hair white like wool and all of this and the, the angelic host is with him can you imagine this moment and you're like can you imagine like the first thing that comes to my mind is it confidence yeah. <laughs> like when that happens, you're like, yeah, here we go. I'm like in my, if I'm being really, really real, if that's happening, I'm going to fall on my face and try to get into the ground. <laughs> Am I lying? No. Okay. But the Bible say, but the Bible, but the Bible. assumes. You don't have to now preach my message. <laughs> the Bible says, abide so that when he comes, we have confidence when he appears. So do you see that the Bible's referencing his appearing, the second coming? See, I think we're asleep to that. We missed that. You read that and you're like, no, no. He's saying when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in what? Hey. Oh, remember where we started? Wow. So the gospel has the power to put you in Jesus, so destroy you of shame that when the Lord comes back in all of his glory, you're like, oh, it's on. <laughs> and you're standing. Your spine is stiffened. Your head is lifted up to the hills where your help comes from. And you're ready to marry your king. That sounds romantic and cool, yeah. but requires being fathered by God for it to be a reality. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like, like, I love excitement. We need to respond in excitement to the word, but let's be sobered wow. about what we're saying yes to wow. and what we've already said yes to. Okay. Wow. So this is incredible. Abiding, meaning remaining in Jesus is there. There's two um, two inextricably linked fruits attached to it. Number one, John 15, abide in me and you'll bear what? Yeah. Much fruit. So abiding is a really big deal in the Christian faith. Yeah. If you learn to abide, everyone say abide. abide. Then you'll bear much fruit. See, I love the Christian life because the Christian life is, is not burdensome. Fruit, nothing, no tree that bears fruit tries to bear fruit. Have you ever seen an orange tree stressed? Wow. <laughs> oranges today, gotta make fruit. What does an orange tree do to make fruit? Show me. 
Ah. It enjoys being an orange tree. It's in good soil. It's being nourished by the sun. Oh, that'll preach. It's being watered. No, see, we don't we don't trust God's design as creatures. <laughs> when God was teaching me this, he asked me, he said, son, which one of my creations tries to be what I created it to be? And I, and I started thinking about like a lion. I was like, does a lion try to be a lion? He said, no. Does an orange tree? No. And I said, Lord, nothing. None of your creations tries to be what you created it to be. And he says, wrong. And I was like, I know. I knew it. I'm always wrong. It's always wrong. You're wrong. I like being wrong. Don't you? Yeah. No, I'm serious. If you're wrong and you don't know it, that's terrible. Oh, it's still up there. Praise God. If you're wrong, you should want to know you're wrong. Rebuke is so nice. Yeah. He who hates correction is stupid. That's Proverbs 12, verse 1. He who, what is it? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge is the second half. So, so I love it. He says, you're wrong. I said, what? He says, Christians are the only one of my creations that try to be what I created them to be. He said, you're trying so hard to be something that I created you to be. He said, you prove that you don't trust my design when you try to be what I created you to be. So abiding, if you learn to abide, the Bible says you'll, you'll bear what? Much okay. But also abiding will make you confident at the Lord's return. So abiding is really, 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 really important. If you don't abide, you will not bear any fruit and you'll be ashamed at his coming. This triune revelation of Jesus is the secret and the key to abiding. It is a big enough room. I use that term loosely. It's a, it's a, it's a room. It's a, I, I do this because this is how I see it. I see it like a, like a giant. I see the revelation of Jesus as a giant, unsearchable, majestic landscape that I'm going to spend the rest of my life just being like, wow, wow, wow. Like, do, do you guys get tired? Those who live here, do you guys get tired of those sunsets? No, no you're like. Every time it's what it is the same thing, though. It's a sunset, but you're like, yeah, it's a different one. It's different colors. And wow. How do we do that with you? How do we not do that with Jesus? We're like, we're, we're so like, we're so thirsty for something. Give me something new. We don't, there's nothing new. Jesus is always new. As soon as we graduate from going, wow, at Jesus, we are so in trouble. If you know, verse 29, that he is righteous. If you know, say if you know. If you know. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Wow. So you're saying, if you know that Jesus is righteous, then if you see someone practicing righteousness, you can deduce 
This person has been born of God. This is Matthew 7. Jesus said, you will know these folks by their what? Can a good tree bear bad fruit? Can a bad tree bear good fruit? What's he talking about? Fruit or trees? Trees. Are you a good tree or are you a bad tree? Oh, why didn't we all just shout good tree? Are you a good tree or a bad tree? Good tree! Lord, I have not labored in vain. I have not labored in vain. You're a good tree. You're a good seed. You've been born again. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. So if you see someone bearing righteous fruit, you can go, this person has been born of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Do you know what that word kind is? What kind of love? It's the word potapos. And it means from what country? That's what the word means. So a way you could read this is from what country is this love? You know, when you hear an accident, you're like, where are you from? This love is so wild. It comes with a heavenly accent that it should make us ask, what country is this from? What kind of love? What kind of love? What? What kind of love exists that it would take humans and make them children of God? See, we have so had the 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 the. The wool pulled over our eyes with, with this phrase, children of God. No one in here is excited about that. Children of God. You know why? Because it becomes so common. Well, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Praise God. He's a child of God. A child of God is someone born of God. This is crazy. The things we say that we don't get amazed at is amazing. You're saying Jesus himself... The Pharisees, they were like, you yourself are claiming to be equal with God because you're saying you're God's son. That's in John chapter five. Do you know that the Pharisees wanted to crucify Jesus because it appeared to them he was making himself equal with God by saying, I'm a child of God. And yet we commonly just go, I'm a child of God. Do you know how radical of a confession it is to say, I'm a child of God? You're saying God is now your father. You've been born of him and you have a new nature. That's crazy. Do you guys see that this is what this is saying? Otherwise, if it was like the way we use it, the way we use child of God, you know, see what kind of love is this that the father has given. We've made this poetic like on pillows and coffee cups <laughs> see oh that i'm a child of god we, we we say it like we're like it's like a little like little nice, little nice i'm a child of god <laughs> he he the sentiment he's saying is this is bananas from what country what kind of crazy love is this who would do this who would do this who would die for a people who were in rebellion against them forgive them while he did it and then absorb all of their junk into himself, resurrect himself to glory, and then gather them all up into his bosom and bring them into the family of God. Who would do that? Who would make earthly vessels 
divine carriers of God's presence. What kind of love is this? See, we've we read the Bible and we're like, okay, yeah, first John three, we see what kind of love is the children of God. This stuff is crazy. And the reason why, if you don't read this verse like that, none of these other verses will make sense. I promise you. Some of you, you're about to be pricked. You're about to, your heart's about to be pricked in the reading of the scripture because this is intense. And it's because we haven't read that verse properly. So you're like, why is it taking so much time? We know. No, no. Watch. This is why. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Friends, we've got to die to the expectation that the world is going to recognize us and know us. Beloved, look at, he's hammering it home. We are God's children now, meaning we're otherly than the world. We're different than the world. We're no longer, we're no, this isn't the same game. The world and us, we're different. There's a distinction. Right now, there's, people want to eliminate the distinction between Christians and the world. Well, we're all the same. No, we're not the same. I've been born of God, and there's people that have not been born of God. There is a big difference between someone born of God and someone not born of God. Yeah. True or no? Okay, this distinction is important. And for too long, the church has tried to distinguish itself by what's right and wrong instead of being a child or a son of God. How do I say this? The church has tried to say, you're you're a sinner. You're not part of us because of this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Pointing to sin, fault finding. And so then the world feels judged. And all of a sudden, we're not actually enjoying what God created us to do. Which the distinguishing of the church was not, you're wrong, we're right. It's that I've been born of God. This distinguishes us more than any other. This is why Jesus was such a marvel. is because he was so different. It says in Luke 7, it says, wisdom is justified by all her children. Do you know what that means? How do you know if I'm right? Say it like this. Some people may argue... You've never been intimate with your wife. And I would say, they're like, I I don't believe you've ever been intimate with your wife. And then I come in February and I bring my wife and I bring my five kids. And I don't have to argue that conversation. Why? Because I'm like, hey, meet my daughter, Faith. Meet my son, Isaac. Meet my son, Samuel and Joshua and Eleanor. I don't have to argue, have I ever been intimate with my wife? What do I do? I just point to my kids. So instead of trying to argue for a revelation to be true, how is it that you have children? Through intimacy. So people have been trying to, I want to be right. If you want to be right, have intimacy and have a kid with God. Are you guys tracking my parable, my analogy? You can't argue with a child. You can't argue with fruit. Do y'all hear that? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you cannot, it's like, it's either true or it's not. So all of a sudden, when you start walking righteously and in love with God, and someone's like, well, I don't think you can be free. And you're like, I don't know. I feel pretty free. <laughs> Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears again, the Lord's return, the bridegroom, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Mm. What we will be. When the Lord comes back, you're going to get a new body. Yes. Praise God. Tired of this one anyway. It won't need coffee. Oh, amen. We can still have it, I think. Y'all are all addicted. Come out. 
Just kidding. Come out of me too. So we don't. He's saying we don't know what that what that heavenly body will be, but we know this: that when we see him, we shall be like him. And look at this, verse three. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Hoping in the Lord's return is the true purity ministry of the church. The reason why there's so much compromise in the church is because we don't have believers actually hoping in the Lord's return. My Bible says that everyone, say everyone, everyone. who hopes in Jesus's return and the transformation that will happen to us on that day. The Bible says that we purify ourselves as he is pure. Wow, come on. So the only conclusion we can make if there's a lack of purity in us and in the church is that we actually are not hoping in the Lord's return and the transformation that's going to take place to us on that day. There's a lot of purity ministries out there, and I don't I haven't heard one of them talk about cultivating a genuine hope in the Lord's return. Wow. Practically, the way this looks is this. If I were to tell you and I know that we don't know this today is what Thursday, if I were to tell you Monday night. The Lord Jesus is coming back and that all of that day and that all of it. I know we don't know, but I'm showing you an example. If he was coming Monday, you guys may have a schedule of things that you're going to do from now until Monday. However, if you knew and you lived as though he was coming Monday night, here's what I promise you. You would begin to assess today, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday afternoon. Because I said Monday at 7 p.m. he's coming. You would look at those five days. You would begin to count the hours, count the minutes, and you would assess what you had already planned. You'd think about the Iron Man. You'd be like, mm, I don't know. Let's see. What can I do? How can I spend my remaining days on earth in such a way that will that will be unto that day will be the most meaningful towards Monday at 7 p.m. For those of you struggling with pornography, if you knew he was coming at 7 p.m. on Monday and you were tempted today, here's what I promise you. You would have the power to say no because you would have an anchor in your heart that he's coming. What happened? You just got pure. How? You actually in your heart held it as though he was actually coming. You can acknowledge all you want. Oh, I think he's coming. I'm hoping in his return. But until you live as though it's so, you don't. There's a purity. And those who live in the greatest purity, they have cultivated a genuine hope. Biblically, hope is the joyful anticipation of good coming. That's hope. Jesus is called our blessed hope. Isn't that awesome? Are you guys with me? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. I know it's a lot. You see purity. If the Messiah brings us peace and the, and the high priest brings us power, the bridegroom brings us purity. Peace, power, purity. That's the balanced Christian diet. If all I ever preach to you is the unconditional love of God through the cross and I never preach the high priest and the bridegroom, guess what's going to happen? You're going to only live for you. And you'll be like, I love God. I'm in love with God. But you won't have the power of the priest. And you won't have the sense of sobriety and the fear of the Lord and the purity of spending your days on behalf of him because he's coming. 
Are you guys with me? Yeah. If I just preach to you the bridegroom and you're not anchored and grounded in the love of God and a great high priest, you will be frantic and frenetic and you will do things. Come on, you know these communities and oh, they're only preaching the Lord's return and it's all fear based and it's all scary and no one's grounded in the love of God and in covenant. If I just preach to you the great high priest who's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and he's going to do it right now, you're not going to through faith and patience inherit the promises. Because the high priest, man, it's like you feel like God's going to do it now. God's going to do it right now. Come on, we got to be patient. Yes, the high priest, he comes now, he baptizes now, he moves now. But it's through faith and patience that they inherited the promises. And we're told to imitate those people. The founding, the, the, the fathers of old, Abraham, he, he, he inherited the promises through faith. Faith is, says, God's going to do it right now. But patience says, but I'm going to wait if he doesn't. That's maturity. Keep reading. Here's where it gets terrible. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know, say you know. Yeah. Say I know. I know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Some of you may be tired of talking about this, but God's not. No one who abides in him, uh oh, there it is again, keeps on sinning. Go there. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Hear me. Let no one deceive you. People think that this teaching is deception, but actually it's the reverse. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. John, are you saying we can practice righteousness and be righteous as he is righteous? What do you think he's saying there? Yeah. Do you think he's saying it's possible to practice righteousness? Yeah. Yeah. 58 of you. <laughs> Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one, say no one, no one. Born, of God, born of God, yeah, keep saying it, makes a practice of sinning. Practice of sinning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Why, John? Because he has been born of God. Come on. Yes. Yes. What's he saying? He's saying when you get this, it makes sinning impossible. We may have to back up to Romans 6 where he says, guys, he goes, don't you know that anyone who's anyone who you present your members to, you become a slave to that person? Do y'all know this scripture yeah. in six? And he's saying, so don't present your members to sin 
Present your members to God in righteousness. He goes, do you not know that we've become slaves of righteousness? And he goes, he, he, he uses the word slave of righteousness. You know why? He goes, I got to talk to you in terms that you understand. You understand slavery. This is what he went. He goes, I'm using a human example because I'm because he's like, you're limited in your thinking. So I got to talk to you like slaves. Do you all remember what it was like to be a slave to sin? Yeah. Yes or no? Yeah. Do you remember how when you were tempted as a sinner and you, you were a slave to sin, you didn't have a choice whether or not to sin? Why? Because you were a slave. Yeah. True or no? Are we together? Yeah. Like when I was tempted, man, I was like, it thing pulled me. I, there, I didn't have a choice. It was like, I'm going to go for it. I was a slave. I was not my own master and I didn't have a master. And he says, in like manner in the new covenant, you become a slave of righteousness. What does that mean? It means if I go to sin in the new covenant, I have a new taskmaster whose name is righteousness. So I'm like, oh, I want to go do this. And this chain stops my hand from sinning. Why? Because now I can't do what I want because I have a new taskmaster. This is what John's saying. He goes, when you understand you've been born of God, you cannot keep on sinning. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So true. Why? Because his seed, God's seed. Say God's seed. God's seed. God's seed abides. What's his seed? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, which carries his DNA. I'm not trying to get weird here, but this is intimate, sacred, holy language. I hope you hear what I'm saying. God's seed is intimate. The Bible references seed. Seed goes into a woman and creates a child. Seed. It's the language. God's seed abides. It remains. And the assumption is there was faith mixed with that seed. So that you go, now this seed is now who I am. This this, this joining of God and man, me and God have become one in the Son, and I've now been cleansed, and now I have God's seed abiding in me. And the assumption was that we would live as though that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That, we've, that we have God now dwelling inside of us. Yeah. <clears throat> By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So becoming, growing up into spiritual maturity has two, maybe three fruits that I want to highlight. Number one, you sinning dries up. The practice of sinning dries up. Now this doesn't mean that like, like as you mature, the practice goes away. What is the practice? It means something that you're doing again and again and again and again and again. Does this mean as you grow up that you won't be tempted? No. no. Temptation is not sin. Someone who's got free right there. You need to know temptation is not sin. Come on. I walk with people who are like, well, I had a tempting thought and then so I just gave into it. I'm like, but the temptation wasn't sin. If you're tempted with something and you recognize a temptation, that's not sin. Yep. 
So as you mature in Christ, say as you mature, you will notice that sinful thoughts, behaviors, and actions will go away. And in its place, you will begin to walk righteously. So much so that someone will be able to look at your life and go, wow, you must have been born of God. What's another way of talking about sin? It's connected to love. Remember what we said? Sin is selfishness. So if you see someone selfish, they're still wrestling with sin. They're still growing up out of it. Again, this isn't condemnation to anyone here. But we have to be honest with areas of selfishness in our heart. That's where sin is, is breeding. And he says this. He says, so whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So this thing full grown produces love. It produces love. And greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Guys, we get to grow up and to love one another. If you're here and you're waiting for it to be like, look, I just, I need this. And I, if every one of your conversations is I, you will be miserable this three months. If it's all just, I will, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, that's okay for a while. That's it is. It's okay. You may, that may be where you are. You may be in the season of I, but God will father you. And pretty soon it, it, it just doesn't, it's not so big what I is doing. And you get to love people. Amen. You get to look at people around you and you, you actually have something to give to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yeah. Hear me. You have something to give to them. Yeah. If you don't show up, there's a measure of God's love that won't be present in this group. My prayer is that is that you guys would walk so free from selfishness and from sin and from your old man. That you have permission. I I am so moved by the Cunninghams and how they empowered young people for 50 years to go. This is a culture of permission. And I want to step into like a little kid stepping into giant shoes and tell you, you have permission to be free. Come on. Like, whoa, what do I have to do? You can just be free. Amen. What about the process? Trust him with it. You can be free. And you can love. Can I talk about love for a minute as we close? Yeah. I would feel remiss if I didn't. The, the point of all of this, the, the people truly walking in this don't make it about themselves. If they, they, those walking in the most Christ-likeness don't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but they walk in humility. And they're not always talking about their sonship and their identity. They're talking about the Lord. And they're talking about the Father. So as you grow in this, realize that God's going to actually, that the more, the more you mature in him, the more you'll become a servant of men. God doesn't make you powerful and all that for yourself. He makes you powerful so that you can serve men and women well. So this thing full grown looks like walking in love. And I wish we had like a whole other week together to flesh this out. The first expression of love, biblically, is patient. So, practically, number one, you can only love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
Say amen. Amen. So you can't love your neighbor until you love yourself. How do you love yourself? Be patient with yourself. Be patient. Well, but I just, I should know better by now. How many of you have heard that lie? I should know better by now. Look at this. Where did you hear that? From the pit of hell. God the Father doesn't say you should know better by now. That is not the Father in heaven saying you should know better by now. Where did you learn that? What is God the Father saying? He's saying, I'm patient. And if you stumble, if you struggle, if you sin, you have an advocate, a helper. He's so committed to you. And he's going to help you through it. That's number one, being patient. Okay? Loving yourself. Now, people in this room, and maybe you may over the next three months, have someone sin against you, meaning they may commit a wrong towards you. Like a real wrong. Like you can be 100% justified and you can build a case and go, they did me wrong. I've been married 16 years. My wife and I have had wonderful opportunities to sin against each other. You can laugh, it's okay. And I remember one time, my wife sinned against me. And she was wrong. And I was right. Y'all are like, oh my gosh. My wife would be rolling her eyes. But I'm right on this one. There's other times where I was wrong. And and I remember going to the Lord. And I was like, I don't want to go to bed angry. You know, we know the scripture. Don't go to bed angry. So I go, I get in my room. And I'm like, God. Oh. I'm like, she did this. She did that. This was my motive. And this was that. And I'm like building my case against my wife to my God. And do you know what my God said? Well, he didn't say that. He said, son, you're right. And I was like, boom, let's go. I I was for a moment. I was like, yeah, yes, I am right. Finally, I got one right. You know, he was like wrong. This time he was like, you're right. And I felt so good. I was like, you know, it was like Shiloh teasing me yesterday with pickleball. I felt so good. And he came back and crushed me. So he goes, he goes, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be like me? I didn't see it coming. He got me again. My head, my heart, I was like, no. He goes, do you want to be right? Do you want to be like me? I said, I'm going to be like you. (laughs) Sometimes being a Christian is so frustrating. (laughs) I'm like, I do feel like a slave of righteousness. I'm like, I wish I could do something right now. You know, you got the chains of righteousness holding you back. If I wasn't born of God, I swear. (laughs) You start talking that way. When you really start believing this, you're like, I swear if I wasn't born of God, (laughs) not really, but you feel that, you know? And so I remember I was like, I was like, I want to be like you, I want to be like you. And he says, well, why don't you forgive her? I'm like, she didn't apologize. She hasn't said, I'm sorry. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be like me? Be like you. 
Do you remember when I was hanging on my cross and you were crucifying me? What did I say? What did I say while you were in the act of crucifying me? What did, what did I say to you? What did I do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. No, I don't want to be like you. I don't want to be like you. Because it's painful to be like him. Because you have to absorb these things. And I stepped in and I said, and he's like, I want you to forgive her. But what if she does it again? Well, by the way, you can't keep a record of this or ever bring it up again. No, that's not good. But what if she does it again? Maybe forgive her again. Well, what about, oh, I almost said it. It's going to be triggering. Oh, it's going to open a whole can of worms. Do it. What about boundaries? I know, I know, y'all just got so mad at me. All I'm saying is, here's what I'm saying. I do think there's an appropriate time and place just to validate the boundary crew. If there's a toxic, whatever, spiritual covering authority, I'm not saying sign up for abuse. Y'all hear me? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying just endure abuse and whatever. That's not right. That's not right. People that have been abused, people that have been victims, God comes and protects. He fathers. He creates boundaries, separation. Are you with me? This is not that conversation. This is about those of us who are maturing into Christ-likeness, who say we want to walk like him. I'm talking about not being triggered and offended and holding sins against one another when we have the capacity by the spirit to forgive and to live with a clean conscience. Do y'all hear me reiterate the distinction? There is a place and a time for healthy boundaries. There is. But we cannot use the boundary language to excuse us from maturing into him. And only the only God can help us realize when we're doing that, because I could have said, you know what? My wife, this is the third time she's done this week. I need to put a healthy boundary between us. I need to get someone. I could have done that and I could have shared it with you. I could have shared the facts with you. And you go, you know what, Peter, you'd be justified in doing that. That was that was hurtful. What she did. You would be justified in creating a boundary. But do you know what? I actually found a grace to forgive. And before, once I settled it in my heart, do you know what happened? I want to finish the story. I walked out of my room and she was walking. She was walking down the hall, I think, to say I'm sorry. But I had already forgiven her. And I grabbed her and I said, I said, look at me. I've already forgiven you. I love you. I'll never bring it up again. And what happened? That happened. I forgave her. and, And we were able to move on. And now all of a sudden, I didn't create a boundary where there didn't need to be a boundary. And we had closeness. We had connection. We had intimacy. Do you guys see that? That's what I'm getting at. Hear hear my heart. But this kind of talk about love, we've lowered the bar of love to human love. 